1: And just as Israel followed that pillar of fire in the wilderness, so Jesus called men to follow him. He said, the one who follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, oftentimes we as Christians, we talk about following Jesus. But what does that mean?
0: Well, it means different things to different people. But should it? We're going to hear an answer to that question and a lot more on today's edition of Study Verse by Verse as Pastor Layton Sheely digs a little deeper into the book of John. He's still in the 8th chapter. I'm Mike Trout. This is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno on the web at highlands.us. And the ministry itself, if you'd like to get caught up on some of the previous studies in the book of John, is studyversebyverse.com.
1: Jesus Christ is indeed the light of the world. One would think that sinners lost in the darkness would come to the light. They would want to come to the light, and yet, for some strange reason, people love the very darkness that ensnares them. Jesus said in John chapter 3, "...this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil." But for those who come to Jesus Christ through repentance and faith, they turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. They receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance and are rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son because God has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Jesus Christ alone brings light of salvation into this Sin-cursed world. To the darkness of falsehood, he brings the light of truth. To the darkness of ignorance, he brings the light of wisdom. To the darkness of sin, the light of holiness. To the darkness of sorrow, the light of joy. To the darkness of death, he brings the light of life. The passage that we're going to study today is an example of the author's interest in the light We have seen in the prologue, the first 18 verses that the author introduces what he's going to expound upon in the chapters that follow, that he gives us several themes that we're going to find as we study through this gospel, and one of those is the theme of light. Verse 4 of the first chapter says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so in the very opening verses of this gospel, the author associates light and life with the logos, the word. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Here in chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the second of seven I am statements in John's gospel that reveal various facets of Christ's nature and his work as our Savior. And by claiming to be the light of the world, Jesus Christ was clearly claiming to be God and to be Israel's Messiah sent by God as a light to the nations. The word light was especially associated in Jewish thought and language with God. The psalmist wrote in chapter 27, "...the Lord is my light and my salvation." Isaiah wrote, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Job wrote, by his light I walk through darkness. And Micah wrote, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. The rabbis declared that the name of Messiah would be light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now the passage begins with the word again. And we find that there is this close connection between this chapter and the previous chapters. In the previous chapter, we were told that Jesus came to the Festival of Tabernacles, or all otherwise known as the Festival of Shelters, and otherwise known as the Feast of Lights. It had several different titles. And In the Feast of Lights, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. There's another theme that we find running through chapters 6, 7, and 8. And that is that there are several references to experiences that the people of God had in the wilderness journeys. You remember when we studied Jesus' message in chapter 7, he said, Come, all who are thirsty, come to me. And he may have said that in the portion of the feast where there was a ceremony of pouring out water. And the pouring out of the water from the golden pitcher was to remind the people that God had provided for them water as they walked through the desert wilderness for all those years. Two to three million people out in the middle of the desert, God had provided them water. It was to remind them of God's leading and God's provision and God's protection. And then in the previous chapter, chapter 7, chapter 6, you remember that Jesus had fed 5,000 men, plus women and children. And when he spoke, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the manna come down from heaven. And that, again, was another experience that God's people had as they walked across the wilderness. That God provided them food, manna, from heaven. Now the wilderness experience described God's miraculous saving and leading his people out of a land of slavery and death, Egypt, and leading them towards the promised land filled with milk and honey, a reference to being both rich in pasture land as well as farmland. And Jesus here describes that as being a picture of an even more significant event where God will lead his people out of a world of slavery to sin with its devastation and death and into a promised land where we call heaven, where God will be and dwell with his people. The Feast of Tabernacles was an appropriate place for Jesus to say, Come to me, those who are thirsty, during the water-pouring ceremony. Which had a counterpart in the evening. Which was the lamp lighting ceremony. It was a ceremony called the illumination of the temple. And it took place in the court of the women. There were concentric courts. And this took place in the court of the women. You'll notice in verse 20. It says that Jesus gave this sermon. Near the treasury. And the treasury was found in the court of the women. Now in the court of the women. They would prepare four huge candelabras and when darkness came they would light those candelabras aflame and the light it is said would light up every courtyard in jerusalem and all night long the men of israel would sing and they would dance in thanksgiving to the lord for god's guidance and protection in bringing his people out of a land of slavery and death and into the promised land You remember how, as the people crossed the wilderness, during the day, God would lead them and protect them by providing a cloud. And the cloud would protect the people from the scorching midday desert sun. And then at night, the cloud would be replaced by a pillar of fire. And the pillar of fire would keep the people warm against the chill of the desert night. And it would protect the people from wild animals. wild animals don't like fire. And it would protect the people from a surprise attack by their enemies. And the people of God would follow God by day under the cloud. And they would follow God by night following the pillar of fire. And just as Israel followed that pillar of fire in the wilderness, so Jesus called men to follow him. He said, the one who follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, oftentimes we as Christians, we talk about following Jesus. But what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, the Greek word for follow is akulutheo. And it has five different but closely related meanings. First, it means, it's used often to describe a soldier who is following his leader. Wherever that leader goes, the soldier follows and obeys the commands. And we are told from Scripture that we are in a spiritual warfare. And we need to be following and participating with the army of Christ... We are soldiers of Christ in spiritual warfare. It's secondly used to describe a slave or a servant who is accompanying the master who is there to give service and carry out tasks as assigned. And we as believers are servants of God and we fulfill our duties with joy. We want to serve Christ or at least we should. And if we're following Christ, we do. And then thirdly, it was used of accepting the counsel of a wise person. And God has given us his wisdom in his word and in his spirit. And so to follow is to follow what is given us in God's word, the leading of God's word. Fourthly, it was used in terms of giving obedience to the the laws of a state or a city. And we as believers, we have dual citizenship. We are citizens of whatever earthly kingdom we're associated with, and might be more than one. But we're also citizens of heaven. And so we are obedient to the laws of heaven, the laws of God. And last and fifth, it's sometimes used of following a teacher's line of argument or discussion. In fact, oftentimes we will use the phrase ourselves today. When somebody is, is giving some explanation to us, we'll say something like, I'm following you. I understand. It, it, it means to not give slack attention, but to be an active learner. And when we're following the Lord, we are actively wanting to learn. We're paying attention to what God reveals to us through His Spirit and through His Word.
0: Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and his latest installment in our series in the book of John. And I do hope you have been following along. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for joining us. This is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Our ministry, Study Verse by Verse, is listener supported And you can join with us financially when you go to the website studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. There's an opportunity there for you to give to this outreach. Again, studyversebyverse.com. I hope you have a great rest of your day and can join us tomorrow at the same time when we'll finish the week with the conclusion of this message and look further at the book of John verse by verse.